Uh, so the tagline, one of the taglines, my favorite tagline for this movie. I know. This is I'll how just, we do it. Yes, we, we just pick these taglines out of I mean, like, there's so many to choose from. Why does from? there need to be more than one? I mean, because sometimes the other ones aren't very good. Kind of garbage. This one, pretty good. Yeah. More fun than a barrel of mummies. <laughs> that is not the tagline of this movie. <laughs> it is. It is. Movie. <laughs> you have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutia, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. <laughs> Just leaves us hanging every time. Hey guys. Hi. Welcome to the Horror Movie Survival Guide. We are uh, the first pop... Already. First podcast from Indie Popcorn Research... Fucking hell. So fired. So I fired. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. Uh, we are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording at the circus. This is episode 22, in which we will be discussing 1988's Waxwork. Yes. Title of this episode, they'll make a movie out of anything these days. Ain't that the truth? Hey. Hey. You know, video games. As true in 88 as apps. it is today. I know. You know, whatever. There was a movie about Legos that was very popular. It was very popular. Extremely popular. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, just put the toy first and then... I feel like, isn't the Monopoly movie still supposed to be coming out? I feel like uh, we're all waiting on tender hooks for that. Goodness. Not true. Uh, so the tagline, one of the taglines, my favorite tagline for this movie. I know, this is I'll how just, we do it. P.S. We, we just pick these taglines out I of mean, like, there's so many to choose from. Why does there need to be more than one? I mean, because sometimes the other ones aren't very good. Kind of garbage. This one, pretty good. Yeah. More fun than a barrel of mummies. That is not the tagline of this movie. <laughs> it, is. it is. Movie. You have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> Anthony Hickox, if he came up with that, he's the writer-director PS of this. Extremely proud of himself. I think this might explain something to Marion because uh, Anthony Hickox apparently wrote this movie in three days. <laughs> uh, Does that explain something? Yeah, actually, no. Yeah, I feel like a lot of things I'm going to say about this movie now suddenly in three days. Also, fair play to write a movie in three days. Yeah. That's at all coherent is a thing. Um, and yeah. and this, is, this is his first film. Oh, really? Is that true? Uh-huh. That's really funny. So kudos, okay. kudos to him. All right. Kudos also for having a man's head on fire in the first minute of this film. Yes, which I will say is a really disturbing image uh -huh. it, it, it's not done in a particularly like skin blisters and pops kind of necessarily gross way but like yeah the beginning of this movie is like a man sort of struggling with people and someone's trying to shove sort of unseen people and someone's trying to shove his head in a fireplace with a fire lit and they do it successfully yeah. and then he just kind of after he dies just kind of lays there with his head in the fire and the rest of his body like along the carpet and it's really disturbing and I, I, I can't I can't ever Take away the image of that stunt guy just being like, okay, how many more seconds? How many more seconds? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Even, oh, my God. I know. I just, yeah. Right on for that stunt man. Yeah. Good so, job. So that's our opening to this. And they have a dope title that melts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, yeah, they show that that's our opening image and they're like, you know, thunder, lightning, wax work melts away. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty proud of that as uh -huh. well. Um, so this movie uh, definitely is in the horror comedy genre that we have been sort of exploring um, uh, in the next few podcasts and in our previous American Werewolf in London episode. Um, 
And I will say that this movie has a totally different take on how they're going to do a horror comedy I feel than, like all, say, American all Werewolf. The, all the movies we're going to do in the horror comedy genre all do it differently. Okay. I feel like, I mean, I think I definitely see more distinction between this and our previous film. Yeah. But yeah, like they definitely have their own. But I, I think I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm always just going to talk about that as we go on. Um, Things but, we know, but you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our lead in this movie is Zach Galligan, yeah. of course, of Gremlins fame, um, who is, I mean, he's adorable. Let's just say it. He's can just I, really cute. He's, I just watched Gremlins with uh, a friend on, on Friday. She had never seen it before ever. Mm-hmm. And she was like blown away by how, like she kept being like, he's so adorable. He's so cute. No, it's like his stupid dreamy eyes mm-hmm. are just... Yeah. This is okay. This is how this is how into Zach Galligan I am. <laughs> um, I went on eBay. This was several years ago, uh, and bought a bootleg VHS of a after school special that he did called VD, a very delicate matter. Oh, Do you man. remember me showing this to you? Because I kind totally showed of, it to you. Kind um, of. And I was delighted because there's several scenes of him in the little 80s shorty shorts, <laughs> and he's got like super hot thighs, and I was really <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> so that's my Gall- Galligan. Story. I also like that that ex- it was like a bootleg VHS. Uh-huh. That not only did someone have that, but they're like, I could sell this for money on eBay. And, and I you were, it. Yeah, and they were not wrong. They were correct. <laughs> they totally could. Do you still have that? Yeah. That's hilarious. If you want to watch it, I'm totally down. Oh, tempting. Uh, we'll see. Uh, also, Dana Ashbrook, who may, you might know as Bobby yeah. Briggs from Twin Peaks. Who's like the jerk best friend. He's awesome. Yeah, he is pretty great. Um, and uh, Deborah Foreman is Sarah. She um, was in Valley Girl and right. also April Fool's Day, which is uh, one of one of the good ones. Yeah, and she's like kind of our good girl mm-hmm. uh, in this. And then Michelle Johnson, who is the inexplicably named china mm-hmm. who is the bad girl in this you know sort of I, I, this movie definitely has these these four characters are kind of like our main sort of four best friends who will go into the waxwork and you know get into crazy adventures and whatever um but for me they definitely fall into that bracket of people that probably aren't friends mm-hmm. but yet they are because the movie says they are yeah. um and they each are just kind of slotted into their own kind of various stereotypes um Zach Galligan's is kind of interesting for me because I do really like him a lot. And the movie uh, kind of goes through a lot of pains in the beginning of it to set him up as sort of this ri- misunderstood rich kid where his mother still babies him. And he's got like a butler and a maid and everyone's British but him for whatever reason. And um, and he's sort of, I think, kind of meant to be kind of a badass, I think. Is he? I think so because it's there's a lot of like him showing up at the college and like winking at the girls and kind of sliding in and he's obsessed with china even though like they dated briefly but she's super over it and whatever and he's just dressed super cool and slick and i thought he was just like a preppy like, i don't think so I, kid. I think he's i mean i don't think he's meant to be badass like dana ashbrook badass right. but he has these sort of kind of cynical lines where he sort of like leans into her and is like listen and all this kind of and he's sort of smoking a lot like everyone's lighting up nine million cigarettes in this movie and um i don't know i feel like i like him a lot and i feel like sort of the qualities where he was supposed to be really like slick Mm -hmm. didn't really work for me in this character he has a great scene with deborah foreman when they leave the waxwork and he walks her home and you know tries to kiss her and then she's like and she's like no and then he like lifts her chin up is like forget about it and he's sort of tender sweet Zach Galligan yeah. and I feel like that's that's like one of his best scenes in this movie right I feel like when he's more that rather than trying to be kind of slick yeah. and I feel like maybe this was an effort to sort of not be the Billy character from Gremlins so much and not just be like boy next door adorable like he's the rich kid and really privileged and I don't but know I don't know what the like the whole rich kid thing is supposed to do for his character necessarily because yeah. like it, it it usually like when you show somebody in a movie who's super rich like that 
because they're an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like you don't ever get somebody who's like super, super rich, but they're cool. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. is it trying to make him cool by saying he has a butler? I don't know. It was, it light was, his cigarettes that's the thing. It's like the character was just a little perplexing for me. And I feel like it's Zach Galligan's own sort of charm that kind of makes him the leading character and makes you like root right. for him and want it to all work out. But I found the character kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really like get what I was supposed to like. Dane Ashbrook, I get it. Yeah. You know, like the good girl, get it. Bad girl, get it. You know, but he's like our lead. And it was, I don't know. I felt like I didn't really fully know what this movie was doing with that character. Well, it, it, they do kind of feel like the Nightmare on Elm Street friends, friends, quote unquote. For sure. Because you're like, uh, would these people really be friends? Definitely not. Um, but no, there they are. Um, and so, you know, you have kind of all the scenes that, you know, kind of wrote like, you know, they go to college and then there's the lecture. <laughs> I know we talk about sometimes a lot of the very sort of timely lecture um, where it's about Shakespeare or Hamlet or, you know, something. There's always some quote that's very apt. Totally. I feel like this movie's like, forget about it. Yeah. We're going to have this like really over the top German professor talking about the Nazi occupation of Lithuania like, during World War II. You're like, Okay. All okay. right. Well, that's uh, that's that's that. Nothing to do with waxwork, but no. that's okay. And they have that weird shot of him like raising his hand, and it's supposed to vaguely look like a Nazi salute. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's comedy, Marion. I mean, yeah, that, that funny Nazi comedy. You, you know. know. Hilarity. Um, and so, yeah, the girls have sort of been talking about, um, the China has been talking about how she can't find like a sophisticated man in her life and there are all these boys and blah, blah, blah. And so she and Sarah pass by the waxwork, which is just in like a residential neighborhood. In California. In California. Um, and they meet David Warner standing well, outside. She's, she's looking for a sophisticated man and then David Warner appears out of nowhere. I know. Bing. Hey. You rang. Um, here <laughs> I am. Here's me in my ridiculous outfit. His <laughs> outfit's in this film. His outfit's outrageous. And he's still kind of a silver fox, like you know. He could pull off anything. Totally, he wears that ridiculous costume in Time Bandits, and you're like, oh, oh, I know. You look kind of great. I know. It's kind. Of, I feel like David Warner, even though they're nothing alike, he sort of has that Brian Blessed quality, where like he can pull off anything, uh-huh. like just anything. Like he just owns it, fully owns it. <laughs> um, so yeah, like the China is sort of intrigued by him, and he was like, "Come to my waxwork later." P.S. Only six of you. P.S. Midnight. P.S. You know, um, I and- would go. If there was a guy, if there was like some, like I'm just walking out of a house, like a street in like Reseda, right. and there's this crazy waxwork and this dude comes out, appears out of thin air sure. to tell me to come back at midnight with my friend. Sure. I'm there. Yeah. Um, are you violating one of the main rules of Horror Movie Survival Guide by going? Or do you think it's like just enough where you can go and then when the first sign of trouble is you can peace out? Yeah. I okay. feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a seasoned enough horror fan okay. mm-hmm. that could be like, all right, I'm going to check this out. Okay. I'll bring some weapons. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good call. You know? Yeah. Because you just go in empty handed. That's the mistake you make. Right. Well, then, but the way that the wax work works. It, yeah. Weapons wouldn't The really weapon help wouldn't you. have come with you, right? Because like they change your clothes and whatever. Well, okay. I guess we'll get to that. Um, but yeah. So basically they're like, come back at midnight and do this. And she was like, okay. And so she convinces the others to do that. Um, and there are six of them. And it's interesting because the so there's the four that we talked about. And then like the two other friends, this other couple, which is very a little confusing because I don't know if you noticed this, but they have a, a few of these sequences where they're talking on the bleachers and right. it's like friends on the bleachers. Um, and these other two, it's another couple, a guy and a girl. When the girl and the guy came over to sit down next to them, the girl sat down and leans over and she kisses Dana Ashbrook on the mouth. Oh. Like kisses him. And then the guy sat down and later during the scene, they started canoodling. And I was like, what? And so I rewound it and watched it again. And she does come down, sit down huh. and kiss Dana Ashbrook on the mouth. Cause I'm like, oh, maybe they're supposed to be brother and sister or something. 
nope, that's not a thing. She just does that or they just made that choice for whatever reason. But that other couple, they are a couple. And when they all go to the waxwork later, they are the ones that like they start walking in and they're like, no, forget it. And they just walk out and leave. And we don't see them again until the end of the movie. And I wondered, I was wondering about them. And I'm like, what is the point of this, these, this couple in right. this film? Mm-hmm. And it's just body count. It is just body count. Well, it's also because later they get into that 18 number. And I think they thought like, well, we don't really want to follow six people. Right. That's a lot. So like they could, they just kind of introduce them, do away with them, and then bring them back later to ha- get to reach that 18 number, I think. Sure. I guess. Um, but yeah, so we go into the waxwork. And this is the beginning of like, you know, horror comedy. This is how we do it. Because we meet this small person who's the butler. Yep. And... This movie thinks it's a laugh where every time the small person takes a bow, um, there's a sound effect that accompanies. I kind of like that sound effect. You do not. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a small person. It could be a a, a normal person But you think it's funny? Like, I don't... Like, if if every time I bowed, I went... I would kind of enjoy that. But I don't think he's hearing his own... I think it's no, just I know it's, it's for sound, our benefit. I know it's a sound effect, but I kind of like that you sound are, effect. You were just like... <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. You like the sound effect? You actually thought it was funny. All right. Well, this is the movie for you then because this movie is... I'm not saying it all works, but I'm saying yeah, that sound effect that works for That particular one worked for you? Yeah. Well, well they also think it's funny to have a small person and then also a very, very tall person as your, as your yes. servants. Yeah. So there's sort of like the lurch and then there's also like this really sort of tiny person and... Um, they sit down kind of very briefly and have a chat and then the doors open and it is a full blown wax museum where they have these different sort of, um, yeah, like these kind of vignettes and it really goes all over the place. It's sort of like you have some Jack the Ripper stuff, you have Marquis de Sade, you have, um, sort of zombies and werewolves and like it kind of checks all the boxes and people kind of want, they're sort of wandering around. They're all kind of dressed up and they're wandering around kind of individually looking at all of them. And then ones that kind of speak to them, Mm -hmm. that they kind of move forward. So, for instance, China was sort of lamenting that there's no sort of like real men in her life. So she sees a sort of like Dracula vignette. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I think Mm -hmm. I'll go in there. Whereas um, Dana Ashbrook, uh, who I really wish was in this movie longer. I really do. do. What a a light. Um, He also lights his cigarette or a cigarette like five times in the first 15 minutes of this movie. There's so much they smoking. They have to show he's the badass. I know. That's how I know. they show it. But the thing is with him, you don't really need to. No, He just clear. kind of is, you know. But I feel like, again, the sort of characteristics of this movie, of individual characters in this movie are so over the top that right. like they just, they really harp on it like every single time. Like someone mentions that Deborah Foreman's character is like virginal or boring or chaste or whatever, you know, yeah. like on and on and on. You're like, okay, I got it. Do um, people ever do like smoke-alongs? Like, people do, like, drink-along movies where, like, every time a character drinks in a movie, you drink. Uh-huh. Do people ever, like, every time someone smokes in a movie, you smoke? Well, at the end of this movie, you'd have cancer because, like, every, <laughs> between, like, him and the cop and whatever, like, yeah. there must that's, – that's a lot of smoking. That's a lot of smoking. Okay. Well, let me say, like, I, I feel like we've been, we've been uh, harping a little bit on this movie. Let me say that I think that the premise of this film – is quite genius. It is genius. Because, uh, so you have all these different vignettes in yeah. the waxwork. And so Dana Ashbrook's going to go into his. Right. So you go, you have all these characters going into these different vignettes and then you have like a little mini werewolf movie and a little mini Dracula movie right. and a little mini zombie movie. And so you get all of the horror genres all in one place. It's like Correct. one stop shopping. No, um, for sure. And, and the way in which they do it is clever too. It is. Like the, they'll approach it and then the rope that kind of separates the vignette from the viewer will drop on its own. And in Dane Ashbrook's case, he drops his lighter on the other side of the rope. So he's like, nah, I'm just going to cross over and go get it. And when he does, he's instantly teleported into a werewolf And his movie. reaction is great. It's fantastic. Because he's like, he, he, his, first, his first reaction is, 
is my favorite quote in the movie. All right, who put the acid in my drink again? Yeah. China. China. And I, I I would like to be with a group of friends who who just put acid in my drink. Accidentally put acid in your well, not accidentally, purposely, purposely put acid, put acid in, my acid in drink. your drink. Yeah. Just and to he see thinks what you'll he's do. he's it's a hologram. He thinks he's hypnotized. So yeah. he like plays along with it. Yeah. And he also just like monologues his way through everything. It's like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this. Oh, there's a house. So I guess I, I can smell the pine and the pine cones. I guess I, and he just chats his way all the way into this house. Uh that he's, John Rhys Davies is in. <laughs> being so tortured. Being so tortured, having his tortured cameo. And he's like, get out, you must get out, you must get out. And he's like, cool, man, don't even worry about it. Like, we're just, whatever. We're both high right now. I would like. I would watch just that movie. Yeah. The Dana Ashbrook, John Rhys Davies uh-huh. werewolf movie. Because I like them both so much. And they're no. so, so luminescent on oh, the screen. Nice. Well, I will say Dana Ashbrook, because he's sort of a, he's kind of a bonkers actor. Mm-hmm. I feel like he does a really good job of... You know, sometimes it's a kind of a thankless thing for the actor to have to kind of continue the narrative what they're talking to themselves. Right. And, and you're like, yeah, well. he does it really well. Yeah. Um, and I think it maybe it's because he took that note of like, oh, I've been given acid. This is just all hallucination. Maybe he really took that to heart and that's yeah. why it works out. But he goes outside to get some wood and then he comes back in. And then, of course, John Reese davies has turned into a werewolf and they, you know, fight with each other. A werewolf who tears a man in half. He does do that. That's mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. And I will say it's not a terrible looking werewolf. No. It's definitely more of the, you know, two-legged variety that we were sort of talking about earlier. Um, but it's got the drool and it's got the, you know, you it's not one of those ones where it's a little dodgy so you only see it in kind of bits and pieces. You see it really clearly yeah. and it's it's pretty scary, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then these guys, and then of course uh, Dane Ashbrook gets bitten and that's when I was like, oh, that's going to be the end of it for him in this mm-hmm. movie. Sadness. We're only like 15 minutes in. Um and these guys show up with silver bullets and they shoot the werewolf and then they shoot Dana Ashbrook. And this part I did really like in this movie, the minute he's shot, all of a sudden we're, you know, he dies and then we immediately step out and we're in that, they're in that exact same positions that they are when they died. And now they're in the waxwork and they're part of a waxwork. And then Zach Galligan just kind of walks by and sees somebody that is his friend, but is half turning in into a werewolf. And so he doesn't remark on it. He's just like, oh, I wonder where Tony and China are and kind of keeps walking. And that's, you're like, mm, this is a good idea. This is yeah, a solid like idea. The, the, if you pull out on this movie, it's like, okay, you have this like David Warner villain mm-hmm. uh, who's going, who has a plan to, to ruin, rule the world as yeah. you all do. And mm-hmm. you know, these are, you are lurking and sucking people into these uh, vignettes and then right. they turn into a waxwork. You're like, that's a solid plan. It's pretty solid. As, a, as like a mastermind villain plan, I kind of like it. No, it is. And visually, it's fun. Like, mm-hmm. it's fun for the audience to kind of, you see the waxwork looking one way, you step into it, and then in the story, if you die, you are part of the waxwork forever. Right. And like all the positions change. And right. Then... And that's good. That's a, that's a cool idea. And so uh, China does the same thing. She, you know, steps into the world of Dracula. Um, and How do you feel about this Dracula? I mean... He's a little like romance novel cover for me. Yeah. And sort of about the same amount of depth, perhaps, Ooh, you know, snap. a little bit. Um, I did, will say, I felt her dress was very labyrinth. Yeah, um, it's very except lab- like on half the budget. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, fair enough. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. we're all not made of labyrinth money. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, it's sort of like We're all not made of laughter. You know, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like look wax work. That you is like to, the ultimate dress. I mean, if you can be girly for a second, no, for sure it is. Um, but her dress kind of reminded me of that, and you can sort of see, you know, in Dane Ashbrook's case, he rationalizes it rationalizes it by oh, someone you know gave me acid. In her case, it's sort of like oh, I'm dreaming, like oh, I must have fallen asleep or you know, and I was already thinking about how I wish there was sort of a man in my life, and here's this very romantic figure. But again, it's like when they, she sits down to a dinner in a castle and there's other women and there's another another guy who's clearly a vampire and they're all clearly vampires eating raw meat eating raw meat and she was like no steak tartare and um and again it's just it's done in a way that's their version of sort of horror comedy where like everyone's like, really over the top and let's all like like so much slurping so much like yeah. raw meat slurping right and it's like have the blood sauce with extra blood don't you want the blood sauce don't i mean you know it's just and I, Again, it's just a different way of going about horror comedy right. as I feel like their version of it is you take these archetypes and they do all of them in this movie and they just take them to the nth degree mm-hmm. wherever, you know, you are super Dracula, you are, you know, super a minion, you are super. Um, and then part of it is that she ends up in this all white operating torture room, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And this part was real gross. Where you looked away, I bet, a lot. It was no good. Like, at first I was like, what, why is that man lying down? What's his issue? What's what's going on there? Oh, my God, rats are eating his leg. And it's like some Edgar Allan Poe nonsense where, like, um, he there's a guy who's I guess, was sort of meant to be our hero in this Dracula vignette who's been tied down and a rat has been eating, gnawing at his calf. So it's and like, there's just the bone. Yeah, just the bone. But he's still alive. And people keep knocking it, touching it, falling on it, it's doing like a whole... Cutting a piece for a snack. I mean, there's just all these like fight, you know, the, the vampires show up and this is when now she realizes this is a terrible idea. And, um, you know, and like there's elaborate fight sequences and she's sort of staking people. And, and the reason that we're in a white tiled room is that blood can splatter. It's going to be blood-tastic, yeah, again. Which... For me, I feel like it's the, again, the, you can see from the filmmaker's point of view, like, oh, like you can see what they're going to do almost immediately. Like when she yeah. walks into that room. You're like, oh, thing. she's dressed in white. Oh, the room's all white. Oh, what's going to happen now? Yeah. Because, you know. But it's so visually awesome. Marion's not into the blood. Okay. okay. Um, so, <laughs> um, so basically at the end, Dracula does get China. So now she is oh, part but, of the waxwork. And um, I would like just like to point out that in this version of the vampire world, when you put a crucifix to someone's forehead, their head explodes. Oh, yeah, that is right. That's mm-hmm. worth noting. Yeah. And also, it doesn't seem to be that kind of a version of the vampire where, like, you must believe. You have to believe. Everything's about to believe. She was just like, nope, I'm going to take two knives and make them into a cross and your face is going to fall off. Yeah. So, yeah, that works. Um, so then um, Mark, they basically, they think that Tony and China have, like, just gone home on their own. So they leave the waxwork. Like, they almost go walk into one, but they decide not to. I don't feel like I would ever do that. If, if I was went somewhere kind of mm-hmm. creepy with my friends and then two of them are like, oh, they left, I'd be like, no, no, they probably didn't not. But see, this is where because you're a horror movie survival see, guide knowledge. This, this is this is what we're talking about, kids. This mm-hmm. is horror movie survival guide stuff. Where yeah. you go, okay, I, I see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I don't fall for it. Yeah, like no, don't that's, fall for it. That's not likely. Believe, believe. Um, and so Mark decides he de- finds out the next day that they never came home. So he decides to go to the most cliche cop in the entire world, mm-hmm. um, who's also smoking, chain smoking, and he's got his gun. He's like, "Listen, kid, you better not be bullshitting me, or else I'll blah blah blah." Ridiculous. And um, which I think is meant to be funny. I mm-hmm. think maybe. Okay. Anyway. Maybe. Um, and so the cop goes to the waxwork, um, and David Warner gives him the tour around and everything, and. Uh, and Would he, you like a closer look? I know. Tries to shove him into one. And then the go- cop like stops himself short. And he's like, no, I'm good. And walks away. And I'm like, 
really? That, that man just tried to shove you into it. No? Okay, that's fine. Um, and then they kind of leave. But then some of the faces that he saw has seems to match up some missing posters mm -hmm. of some kind of kids around town. So he's like, mm, am I crazy? Am I not? I'm going to go back. Um, and he does go back and uh, he gets shoved into the mummy vignette mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and uh, you know, tries to battle his way out. And actually, no, this is to prove your point. I think he brought a gun with him into the waxwork. And yeah. when he gets shoved into the mummy, he goes to reach for it and it's gone because your costume changes, his beard is shaved, like everything changes once you're in it. So you just so have to use having, your own. Having weapons would be pointless. Right. So then he's not actually killed. He's buried alive in this sort of sarcophagus, which I will come back to later, but we don't actually see him die. It's just, you know, buried alive Do in sarcophagus. Do we come back to that sarcophagus? We will. And I'll, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to bring this up to you at the end of this movie. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, Mark and Sarah kind of realize all is not right. Nobody believes them. Cops have disappeared. Who um, can they go to for help? Well, they go to the attic. They do go to the attic. Um, and then also Sarah is definitely sort of playing this, like she has this weird sort of fascination with like the Marquis de Sade. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm vaguely intrigued. and But yet I'm virginal. It's very confusing. And then when they're up in the attic, they find a book about the Marquis de Sade. And she's like hypnotized. And it's all very interesting. But um, they basically decide that they need help. Um, they need extra help. His grandfather um, uh, seemed to have been involved in it. And so they go to Patrick McNee of Avengers fame. Um, in a wheelchair um, and he says my favorite line in this movie which I enjoy um, where he's sitting him down to kind of break down what's happening and Zach Allegan says well it's kind of a long story um, and Patrick Minnie says oh good show lovely and I really enjoy that he's like oh man, nothing better to do I, I love oh. it it's like the, the the most British proper old man who is secretly a horrible monster hunter yeah uh -huh. but looks so cute uh -huh. and so friendly um, and it sort of kind of falls along the sort of Gary Busey route where you know, he kind of, he, he, this is the one person who can, they're not, they're not really children, but like, this is like the adult that they need to enlist to, um, to get them to, to beat the big bad. And he just believes them right away. He's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, actually. Yeah. No. I mean, I, this has actually been part of my world for a long time. So and Zach Allegan's grandfather had collected, uh, 18 artifacts from mm -hmm. 18 different real life uh, murderers mm -hmm. and uh, the what David Warner is using them. Mm -hmm. and he's going to put it in once once all eighteen are complete. He can right. put it into the world, and that's why they want groups of six to come into the waxwork. Is they want to grab six people at a time to put them in all the vignettes, and when all the vignettes have like victims and have come alive or whatever, then it's I think the the world will explode with evil. The evil will attack. They yeah. can all leave the waxwork and take over the world. And I do like they ask David Warner why he's trying to end the world. He's like, oh, someone has to. Yeah, I know. I do yeah, like that. That's a good reasoning. Um, so <laughs> we not? get we get a um, Zach Allegan in a in a Night of the Living Dead esque very zombie, not, very Night of the Living black Dead black and white. Mm -hmm. I like that they go black and white with it. Yeah, uh, which I heard sequence. they shot at Griffith Park. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have uh, Sarah going into the Market de Sade one, right. um, where it's, you know, the movie gets a little kinky. Yeah. She gets, she gets, uh, she gets mm -hmm. whipped by the Market de Sade and fucking loves it. Loves it. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of hot. And then, and then he's like, uh, like, oh, look how strong she is. So I'm going to whip her to death. That's the only and way she's to like, teach her. Yeah. And she's like, okay. <laughs> um, and then when Zach Galligan figures out kind of how the waxwork vignettes work in the sense that when he can can't, you say waxworks work? Wax work works. Yeah. Um, when he tries to escape his zombie one and he can't, he suddenly decides, oh, if I don't believe you can hurt me, I can leave. And so he kind of looks at the zombies approaching him and he's like, mm, you can't hurt me, you can't hurt me, you can't hurt me. And then jumps out and he's able to do it. So he jumps into the Marquis de Sade one 
um, who I, I enjoy the actor who played the Marquis de Sade because he's definitely really going for it and like super over the top. But that guy is struggling with that wig. I will tell you, there is, I feel like sometimes actors who aren't used to long hair and they, they don't know how to brush it out of their face. They don't know how to, so there's a lot of it when he's sort of like whipping her and will stand up quickly and he just moves his hair out of his face in a not very convincing way. Where you're <laughs> that, like, that's what Marion's looking at. Yeah, not, not the I'm guy like, what are you doing? Her. What are you? What 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 do you? No, just touch your hair like a person. And yeah. I, I I kind of dig that uh, virginal girl gone like total pervert in like two seconds. Uh-huh. I like it. Well, and what's crazy about it too is like so Zach. I like I love Zach Galligan's reaction to it is because like they're they're sort of sort of set up to be our final couple, but they're not really dating in the movie. Um, they have one sort of scene where he's super obsessed with China, but she really loves him and he tries to kiss her. And she's like, no, I'm no, not now. I'm, you know, I like you, but I'm looking for something else. Da, da, da. And, and he's very sweet with her about it. But when he kind of comes in to save her, she, and he unshackles her, she runs over to the Marquis de Sade's leg and it's like, no, I want to be here with him. Like, leave me. And Zach Galligan has this great look on his face. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Like, he was just going to beat you to death. Like, that's the other thing she's looking for. That's what she's looking for. But then he convinces her it's the vignette. Like, you don't, you know, you don't really want to die here. Like, you're just, right. you're seduced it is taken, by It's taking you over in a way. Correct. Um, and then she kind of real, and then when the Marquis de Sade tries to kill Zach Galligan because he doesn't believe in him, he can't. He can't hurt him. So, so he's like, able to grab her and get out of it's it. It's like a nice, a Nancy Nightmare on Elm Street totally. kind of like, take your power away if I don't believe. And exactly. like, you're nothing. And Correct. Yeah. Um. So we so it all leads up to a wonderful waxwork riot. I mean, with uh, waxwork orama. Yeah, where yeah. every waxwork comes alive. Yeah. Um. And uh, fun fact: uh, Kane Hodder is Frankenstein. Oh, is that true? That's yeah. funny. Uh, so they have all the waxworks coming alive, and there's just every the, the uh, Wilbur is that his name, Sir Wilbur, mm-hmm. uh, comes in with his band of mm-hmm. of crusty old folks to yeah. help save the world. Yeah, um, and, there's and this, he's got like his wheelchair is like tanked out. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And there's a, just a, a, a fantastic chaotic riot yeah. sequence where oh, so many people on fire. And then also the two friends, their other, their other two friends, had come up. back and had been sucked into their own waxworks really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and they're there. also thrown into the fight. And that yeah, basically like. Patrick McNee and all of his group, and then also Sarah and Mark are sort of made to fight. And Patrick McNee gives a sword um, to uh, Mark, and apparently it's made of silver, so of he's able to use it to like slay werewolves and pretty much anything he wants. Um, and I like that they they feed the small person to Audrey too. Yeah, and and I will say Sarah as a character, once she kind of like gets over the whole Marquis de Sade thing, she really goes to town in the fight scene because she feeds yeah the um, the butler to the small butler to Audrey too. She throws an axe in the Marquis de Sade's back, Oof. like she stabs a bunch of people. Like she's she's like I'm not I'm done I'm done being the good girl, not doing it. Yeah, um, and then it all leads to this epic sword fight, this very kind of like almost sort of Basil Rathbone esque like sword fight between the Marquis de Sade and Zach Galligan. Um, which I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it is very... No, but nobody, nobody dislikes a sword fight. No, but it's very, you know, sometimes I feel like they're just sort of slapped on and they're not, but I felt like they were really trying to do like classic good guy, bad guy, mm-hmm. epic end of movie sword fight. Um, music's very over the top and very, you know, da-da-da and, you know, that whole thing. Um, 
but uh, Marquis de Sade gets Max in the back, and then David Warner shows up and is just going to like take them out um, totally. Uh, and then Patrick McNee shows up at the last minute and uh, kills him. And then Patrick McNee is taken out. His head is ripped off, I believe. David Warner falls into the waxwork. You got to love that. I, become, if, if you're going to have a waxwork movie and not yeah. having someone to have fall into a vat of wax, yeah. I'm disappointed in I your felt, movie. I felt very Vincent Price in that movie yes. moment. Um, it was pretty solid. And uh, We think that falling into a vat of boiling wax would hurt more than falling into a vat of boiling oil. I feel like the wax would be better. would not hurt as much. I mean, it would still hurt. <laughs> I mean, it's all terrible. Let's, let's be honest. It's all terrible. Um, I would just think that you would want it to be as hot as possible so everything would be numbed out so you would pray to God you felt nothing. Right. That's that's the deal. Oh, that's not going to happen. That's the. I would hope so, though. But wax is like a nicer feeling than oil. No, no. Either is like scalded to death. Okay. I think you just want to be scalded to death at a much higher temperature so you don't feel anything. That's the dream. Well, both, if there are dreams here. They're both boiling. <laughs> like how much hotter do they get than boiling? That's like But that's pinnacle. like boiling oil and lava. Oh, lava. You know what I mean? Okay, I got it. I mean, I'm just I'm saying. On it. Um, so yeah, so basically, you know, once that happens, there's wax everywhere. Gasoline has been spilled. The whole thing... Um, goes up in flames. They escape. There's some unconvincing miniatures um, of sort of the waxwork kind of on fire mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of falling apart. Um, and then they leave. And then there's sort of our last minute shot. So it like still lives. A hand, a dismembered hand crawling out. So it seems like all the evil's been destroyed with this last minute hand. Well, there is waxwork too to deal with. So, it's you know, true. you can't just end the movie. That's true. You can't set it up for a sequel. <laughs> you have to. Um, um, so waxwork. Does it work for you? A not, sigh tells me no. Not really. Because I will, I, I just, this movie with, and this movie definitely kind of goes to town in the sound effects department. And I feel, I guess I just want for my horror comedy, I like that the comedy is sort of like we talked about in the last episode, born out of, you know, the character's own kind of trepidation about the situation, or, you know, you're in a horrific situation and you see something kind of goofy on the wall or just something like that. And I feel like this movie, the filmmaker was trying to tell me what was funny or make it funny or whatever, rather than it being born out of the situation. And so for me, it just doesn't work as well. Okay. I, f I can remember um, really liking it. And, mm -hmm. and upon this viewing, it didn't work as well for me either. Okay. Um, it's, it is like, uh, it, I think it's too, the comedy stuff's too broad and not, I don't really buy the characters, I guess, mm -hmm. as much as I want to. Um, but I just, I like the idea of it so much. And mm -hmm. I like the fact that you get all of these little mini movies within the movie. Yeah. And I think that those are really fun. That is fun. Yeah. Um, but not, not knocking it out of the park. I just don't see why this movie needs to be a horror comedy. I feel like this movie just as a horror film could have been amazing because you're you right. Think the, the comedy elements hurt. I don't know what it gives it. You yeah. know, I don't know if it gives it anything really, because I think that the idea is a great one, you know, that getting sucked and in, pushed into the waxworks and the, and maybe they just thought that that idea is so ridiculous. You had to make it a horror comedy or nobody would buy it. But I feel like there's a lot more, mm -hmm. you know, ho horror movies that have a situation that really stretches believability that do really, that does really work. And I think the idea of people being sucked into these whole other extra movie and you're just stuck in that movie's rules and that movie's deal. And right. you're trying to deal with that main character dilemma of like, how quickly do you buy into the situation? Because the sooner you believe it, the sooner you can get yourself out mm -hmm. of it and, um, and have it kind of be adjusted to each character's personal deal. You right. know, like China would obviously be Dracula and, you know, and it would obviously be the Marquis de Sade for Sarah. So I just don't know why it has to be a horror comedy. And I, yeah. feel, whereas I feel with like an American werewolf in London, 
I would have not enjoyed it as much if it had just been a straight horror film. It wouldn't have been bad or anything, but the comedy gave me so much. It right. made me like the character so much more. It made me identify with um, the situation as crazy as it is. And I just don't feel that way about this movie. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I, I would really like to see the like hardcore version of this movie yeah. where like they just go for the horror like straight up. Mm -hmm. So um, as far as ratings go, so then, yeah. I'm okay, like, we're, we're going to talk about these all ratings. Right, all right. Uh, so first, we're going to talk about the gore factor. Uh, we have one through five. One is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. And so for this film, for Waxwork, we gave uh, three and a half. Enough blood to gross out the average viewer and a little bit more. You don't agree with that? I think that... It, I would say maybe just more like a standard three. I don't know okay. why we went three and a half. Um, there's some gore. There is some. Okay. Yeah. But more to the point. So movie ratings, zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate, two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastical. You and I both gave this a four. Not too shabby. Yeah. I agree with that. It's not Do too you? shabby. I feel like I might be more in the like three department now, okay. like seen worse, seen better. I'd say I could, um, I could agree with that. Maybe also too seeing them sort of back to back in all these other horror comedies, which I feel like I enjoyed a bitch, a bit more. A bitch I, more. A bitch. Jeez, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Anthony. It's <laughs> um, not what I meant. Um, but again, I, I do think the thing that this movie is really successful on is the premise is good. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, for me, that is a very much a make or break mold for a successful horror film of any genre or subgenre. Um, and it is a really good idea. I just think that the comedy stuff, I, I don't really know what it gives it. Okay. Um, and kudos to casting Zach Galligan and um, Dana Ashbrook as sort of like our male leads because they're great and could not be more different. Mm -hmm. um, but they're both really great in this movie. Yeah, I wish there was more more Dana Ashbrook in it. Yeah, but that's but all right. Don't we all? Don't we? I he should be in more and everything. I know more of everything. Um, so uh, we are on all the things: the Twitters, the Facebook, the Instagram. Um, also, if uh, if you guys enjoy this podcast, we would love to get uh, your thoughts um, on uh, the review side of iTunes. It helps people find this podcast, which is good for everyone. So next week, we're going to be talking about another horror comedy and one of Marion's favorite films, oh, man. Peter Jackson's 1996 film, The Frighteners. I'm like super excited about this. I know you are. I'm really excited about this. Um, so yeah, join us for that one. We'll see you guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>